looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. All right, folks, welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte. This week on the podcast, our guest has known on Instagram is Lattes and Leases. Uh, she's going to be talking about her portfolio that she's built at the young age of 23. She's been doing a really good job, and she talks about how she did out-of-state investing for her first project and her portfolio moving forward, so really almost across the country. Super interesting to hear what she's done, how she has done it, so buckle in, enjoy the episode. If you guys have a few minutes, head over to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, write us a review as it does help out the show, and enjoy the episode. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Make Money Make Sense in Real Estate. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte. Today's guest is uh, Soli Latte and Leases, as you may know her on Instagram. Um, Soli, thanks for joining in. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me. So I am 23 years old, located in San Jose, California. I am a commercial real estate broker by day. I help large companies manage their real estate portfolios nationally. Um, And I'm growing my out-of-state portfolio in Cincinnati, Ohio. So right now I'm at five doors over three properties. I have two under contract right now. And hopefully we'll have 20 more for the next few months. That's the goal. Awesome. I love it. So where are you a commercial agent with or commercial broker with? What brokerage are you with? So I'm with Cushman and Wakefield. It's one of the big, I guess, big four or five out there. Okay. And what uh, what kind of asset of real estate are you working with? Are you office? Are you multifamily? What do you work with? So most people have a lot more niche role than me where they're like office leasing or they sell land. But because I basically help manage large corporate portfolios, we do whatever they want us to do within their portfolio. So that means that we buy, we sell, we lease. We do a whole bunch of stuff over office, warehouse, land, data centers, everything, like mini storage. We do we touch almost everything and everywhere. So we saw across the country, we do Alaska, we do Kansas. So like right now I'm selling a couple of parking lots in Kansas and it goes from anywhere. So the Kansas parking lots were, um, they're like $2,000, <laughs> so tiny, tiny things. Um, but like last year we sold a $40 million parking lot in San Jose. So we do really anything of all sizes, all over the country. So it's been a great experience, just huge deal flow in a lot of different areas. Awesome. I love that. So yeah, you definitely don't just specialize in one thing. You do a bunch. That's pretty cool. And what kind of gets you started with wanting to be a commercial broker with uh, Cushman Week? So I actually had no intention of ever really getting into real estate, but in college, I really needed a job. And I had a friend who worked at the company and who knew of an opening. And so I originally wanted to get to sustainable development or like developing communities and land planning. And so he said, this is a great opportunity to just 
you know, get your foot in the door into real estate. And so I gave it a shot. I was supposed to be there for three months as an intern, but I ended up staying for three years as an intern, starting in sophomore year of college. So I've worked pretty much full time through college. And then I graduated last June and went full time. Awesome. I love that. And so I'm assuming where your real estate journey started as far as the investing side goes, as you're working for this brokerage, you kind of saw how wealth was being built. And I'm assuming you want to get into that, but tell us a little bit, how did you get into the investing side of real estate for yourself? Yeah. So, I mean, brokers, they work their butts off like 80 hours a week and it's continuous. It's one year you can make zero, one year you can make like $3 million that you constantly have to dig up business. You're constantly having to make more money and it's, it's not really a passive thing. So there's a lot of like 70 year old brokers out there who are still working. And so I saw that, I mean, we work for clients we're the middleman between companies and landlords. And so after watching that and, and how hard brokers work every single day for 50 years, I was like, I want to be on the landlord side, the principal side, actually making the investments and actually making the passive income. And so I knew a couple of people in college who invested in real estate. And when uh, coronavirus hit, the commercial world died. And so we had a couple months where we weren't doing like legitimately anything. And so me being a really good person, I used to work full time. I used to go to school full time. Um, and I used to play soccer and I used to do all these things. And I had literally nothing. So I figured now's the time I need to like buy something to keep me busy. And, you know, I've thought about investing. I've saved a bunch of money. So if not, if any time is the time, now's the time because I have the time to focus. And that's, that's right. when I decided to jump in. Um, I did have the support from a couple of friends. I do have a background in real estate. Um, so that was helpful, but that sort of gave me the little push I needed to really throw my focus into it. Okay. Awesome. So when you started though, you took a little bit different approach than most people do. I mean, a lot of people that get started in real estate investing, whether that is single families or small multis, they usually do it as a house hack. They do it in their own backyard. Uh, you went across country to do it really. So talk to us a little bit about what made you want to do long distance real estate investing. And I know you mentioned it earlier, but mention again, what market you are investing in. Yeah. So I invest in Cincinnati, Ohio. So, I mean, as you know, the Bay area is one of the highest cost of living areas. And at the time I could afford maybe a condo for $500,000. That was wow. probably 500 square feet. And so for me, it was like, okay, I could put my money in here and have somewhere to live. It's really difficult to house hack that. And my money is going to be stuck in there until it appreciates enough to refinance. And I got to do it all over again and save more money. And so for me, that wasn't just, it just wasn't an option because with limited money, you have to find a way to recycle it. And that's why I really wanted to do the Burr method so I could just recycle money over and over and over again. And I find that that works best in Midwestern markets where the purchase price is around $100,000. And so I had done some commercial work in Cincinnati. So we were bringing our clients um, from Mountain View and we were expanding them really heavily in Cincinnati into like a huge build suit building. We flew over there, we toured the market, we toured with developers, we saw how much was like just money was being infused into the economy. And I looked at the house prices 
$100,000. And I met a bunch of investors when I was there. And so I was like, well, I don't know anything about any other city in the Midwest. This is as good a place as I need to get started. And so everything, I mean, that was November of 2019. I started investing um, June of 2020. So really it wasn't that long ago that I started. And um, yeah, so it just all came together and, and I just jumped and I never looked back. Awesome. Well, you're off to a great start. And something I really want people to take away from what you just said there was you knew the market a little bit. You had market uh, data behind you, market research mm-hmm. that you had before. You really understood it. So that's why you selected it. It wasn't just because it was a cheap market you wanted to jump in because anyone could jump into a cheap market, but it doesn't mean they're going to make money. So that's really good that you did that. Um, talk to me a little bit about what made you want to get started with like the Instagram page. So Lattes to Leases, I think that's pretty cool. Um, where did that passion come from? Oh, so originally it was meant to be like a commercial real estate Instagram and there was zero traction for that. <laughs> and so if you look at my original first post, it was like updates on the market and and then like a little side about my investing journey. Um, but I didn't realize that my investing journey was going to take off so seriously and so soon. And so I think that by posting my own journey, I made a lot of friends, both in Cincinnati, like all over the country, really, and locally, who right. were able to help me through that first property. And so whenever I had a question, like, obviously, people freak out on their first property, like, I don't know how to do this, I don't know how to do that, I, I don't know. And so I would then turn to my Instagram and be like, hey, guys, I'm going through this issue, like, oh, my gosh, the bank like declined my loan, blah, 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 blah. What do I do? And so I think that's was it resonated with a lot of people because I was it was live time through my first deal and everyone could follow that process and so by posting my own journey it also kept me accountable for like building up my goals and keeping the momentum going and so that's primarily why I like it one is for accountability to myself and two is for the community that I have now so being out of state is really difficult, but mm. I have a large group of people over in Cincinnati who, if I have a question, I could just run, run a deal by them, like ask them about the neighborhood, ask them about rent, blah, blah, blah. And they're there for me. That's awesome. Yeah. You definitely, you know, you created a community for, for yourself and, you know, to help you out and also others so they can network and kind of learn from you and your journey as well. So I think that is awesome. Um, let's talk about the first deal. So obviously the first one, that's that biggest hurdle. Once you get over the first one, it just it's really a snowball after that. So talk to us about the first one. What type of property was it and how did you find it? It was a single family. I found it on Zillow. So I, I did this so out of order. I did everything like not great. (laughs) (laughs) You learned though, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I wasn't even pre-approved from the bank when I put it in offer. I didn't have a property manager. I had no contractor. I like had no idea what I was doing, but I was like, yeah, agent found this house. Looks like a good deal. I don't know. Like the numbers look okay from limited information that I know. And right. so put in an offer, sight unseen, got accepted. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't think I'd get accepted. <laughs> and I'm like, well, now I have to figure it out because I'm not pre-approved. I, so I was an intern when I when I was buying this property and on like Mm. a very minimal intern salary. And so the bank was like, we don't know if we're going to approve your loan because you're an intern and you don't make very much money. And so that was like my big stressor um, was I was transitioning from an intern to full time. And it was the entire time of the loan. It was just, we don't know if you make enough money to do this. And so 
I mean, put in, put in the offer, got accepted, didn't have a contractor. So my real estate agent recommended a contractor. He walked through, it was like a $50,000 bid for just a really light renovation. And wow. I was like, whoa. Yeah, wake <laughs> up so call. <laughs> I was like, that's expensive. I didn't know. I, I don't know. I didn't have any reference for how much construction costs though. And so I sent it to one of my investor friends who I had met from my commercial job and said, hey, I don't know anything about construction, but this is what they said. And he said, I'll send a contractor through for you and I'll go walk the space for you. And wow. so he walked the space, he sent his contractor through, he gave me a bid, it was like $25,000. And the investor was like, if I were you, I would buy this house. So, and I was like, I trust you. You're an investor, you own 10 houses. Right. Okay. And it's funny because my, my realtor at the time told me, if I were you, I would not buy this house. He said, this is not a good investment for your first property. And I was, well, and real I was, quick, how'd you find this agent? Oh, it was a referral from my, my friend who walked the house, my realtor friend, um, recommended a realtor and that realtor recommended her. And as a beginner, again, didn't do anything right. Was like, okay, sounds good. You know? Right. You're just an agent. Yeah, sure. Help me out kind of thing. Right. Everybody's good. And I mean, that, that was one of my biggest learning experiences that I didn't vet anybody. I took the first property manager I talked to, like basically just any contractor at all. I took the first agent I talked to. Mm. I took the first lender I talked to and I fired them all for the second deal. And, but it's okay. I mean, like it was a big learning experience. The house is fine. It's cash flowing. It didn't cost a ton, you know, right. but that's just to say, I think like everybody is scared of messing up on their first property. And like, I think I did most things wrong on my first property and it turned out totally fine. And that didn't stop me from buying number two and number three. Well, let's touch on number one first a little bit. So what type of loan did you go in the property with? And was it in your name or was it in an entity name? So it was my name. It was a conventional, just normal mortgage 20% down. It was a hundred thousand dollars and I ended up putting about $20,000 into it to turn it into, it was a two one and turned it into a three one by making the dining room, another bedroom. Okay. So that, yeah. So super easy. That increased the rent by like, I don't know, three to 400 bucks and increased the equity a ton as well. And awesome. so I'm in the process of refinancing it right now and the appraisal came in a little bit low at 155 but i'm challenging it right now to get it up to hopefully 160 or 165 which would make it for me a perfect firm so let's do that math real quick you bought it for a hundred thousand you put 20 percent down we'll say five thousand for closing costs it was probably a little bit less or give or take so you're in it for twenty five thousand plus another twenty thousand so you're all in it for forty five thousand correct yeah Okay. And then it, it appraised at 150. What was the loan to value you were doing on that? So it appraised at 155. I personally think that I, so I challenged it because there's houses across the street selling for 180 that are the same size as mine in the same condition. So I don't know what it's going to come back at, but I'm hoping for at least 165. And so 165 at a 75% LTV. Um, so the loan would be 120. 
And so I'd be probably in it for five to $10,000 instead of leaving after closing costs as well for the refinance. Um, but that's way better than leaving forty to $50,000 in the deal. Most definitely. I, I always say to people, you know, I've done the Burr investment a few times and I always say to people, you know, I'd rather leave, you know, a little bit of money in the deal than an equity uh, down payment of 20 or 25% mm-hmm. plus all the renovation costs. You know, I can take, even if I'm taking out 50% of that, it's still better than having hundred percent of it in it. For sure. At the end of the day, you know, you look at what the building building's worth versus how much you have in it. I mean, that could be as little as 10% down payment in total and all, which is great. Um, that's why I love the Burr method. So you bought the first one, conventional, your name, you moved on. Talk to us about the second one now. So kind of how you started scaling. So now we're getting this thing moving. Yeah. So, I mean, all my money was locked up in the down payment and the renovation from the first one. I literally had nothing after that. And so I had shared my journey for the first one over social media. And I had a couple people friends and family reach out to me and say, Hey, we see what you're doing. Like, we really want to invest with you. And I was like, well, I guess that's the only way I'm going to buy number two because I got no money left. And so I put together a presentation for them that's on my website for free. You can just download it. Um, But the exact web, the exact presentation I use. And I raised some money from there into a sort of like a fund because I didn't know what I was going to invest in. I just knew that I needed the money. And so it, it went into a fund, meaning they deposited the money in my bank account so that it it started seasoning because for banks to need to see it as your money, like you need to season it for 30 to 60 days. And so while I was looking for deals and working on putting something under contract, it was seasoning in my bank account. And so I have that money for three years at 7% and that's paid annually, um, which really is, is great for me. And right. they have no say on what I invest in or how I invest. It's just money in my bank account. And so I looked at a couple of deals. I looked at a duplex, I looked at a 12 plex with a partner, um, but then I settled on a triplex. And so that was the money that I used to buy the triplex. And that was $155,000. Um, and it was fully rented for $2,150. Okay. So you, I'm sorry, how much money did you raise from them for your fund? This is like 20 something thousand dollars, like not okay. that much. I put a little bit of money into the triplex myself. Um, the actual numbers are on my Instagram. If you just looked my doors, door number two through four numbers, everything's there. But I guess the thing to highlight on that one is is how much your returns increase when you're using private money. Yep. Because Especially then you just scale. Yeah. So you just subtract the interest from your cash flow annually. But you have to put such a minimal amount in the deal that your returns that you're getting are so much. I think it's like 28% um, on my money, which is great. Like that's oh, awesome. Yeah. That, that that is great. So um, with this, you said it's a three-year loan you're doing with them at 7% annually. Are you paying them monthly, quarterly, principal and interest, or just interest, or is it like a balloon payment? I'll do at the end. Interest only annually. And then okay. I'll pay them back in a balloon at the end. Um, but I mean, I did talk to them and they want to continue investing. And so in my mind, I'm like, why would you not want to keep your money in this deal and continually invest? I mean, because otherwise I'm going to pay you back and you're going to give it back to me. 
and right. I'm going to find a new deal. And so, exactly. I mean, this is a great deal. So why not just, I don't know what I'll do. Maybe I'll just up it a percent or something um, because I'm making good money off of it. But I think that I'd love to keep them as investors in this deal. So I don't necessarily have to refinance. That's awesome. I love it. See, I, you remind me a lot of myself because we're both the same age, we're both 23. And, you know, when I got started, it was like my first one, I put my money in my second one, I put my own money in, but then I started reaching out to private lenders and I started utilizing that for, you know, for burrs and getting the thing scaling. And I think that's so important. So like to, to listeners that are listening to this, you know, understand that other people's money OPM is very important in this investing strategy as far as real estate goes, because the, the way I look at it is, you know, you get a duplex, you wait for all that cash flow to come in. Once you have that cash flow, you put it as a down payment on another one and you let the you know cash flow come in and you keep moving. It's going to take a long time to start to acquire all these doors. But the way that, you know, you've described it as well is you're able to get five doors right now with two under contract in a very short limited time, especially at a young age. So I love that. Um, with these other deals that you've been moving forward with, are they also, are they still in your personal name? What kind of financing are you doing with these? Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So one, one point on other people's money is I think it's important to sort of have a backstory before you ask for people's money. And so for me, it was, I did my first deal all by myself. I like, I documented the entire thing on social media, 100% transparent about all the struggles and all the failures and they were still willing to lend to me. I think a lot of people say, I don't have money, but I want to get started investing. So I'm going to ask other people for money, but you have to create a track record and a story for people to trust you. And so if you can do one by yourself or partner with someone and not take much equity and then ask for people's money, I think that's a much better way to go. Um, So that's just that point on that. But So going forward, I still buy my personal name because I find it, I have so much going on that I don't want to have to deal with LLC paperwork at the moment. And I mean, I don't have many personal assets at all besides my properties and I have great insurance policies. And so right now I think it's easier to get financing in my individual name. I still have a bunch of Fannie Freddie loans left. You got better interest rates, less of a headache, less problems with like taxes at the end of the year. So I'm just trying to keep it simple here. I know a lot of people disagree with that, but for me and how, like what my brain can comprehend, I'm just doing mm-hmm. it in my personal name. So now I'm buying with hard money primarily. And that was the third property. I bought it with a partner. And again, I had no money because I spent it on the first one. I put a little bit in the second one and then I literally had nothing. And so <laughs> I convinced a partner who he was an investor in in uh, Florida and he couldn't find any deals in Florida and so I was like hey um come to Cincinnati there's lots of deals the returns are three times better than what you're finding over there and there's less competition and he's like ah okay all right and so I didn't have any money so he's he's sort of like front this is a burr so he's fronting the money but the hard money lenders are reimbursing him and hopefully at the end of the day there's no money left in the deal anyways and so it's that's that's how I structured the third purchase with again no money of my own awesome so you had single family triplex what was that third one what was the style of that home? single family so th- so okay. all three of those are within um one mile of each other so they're in a very very small geographic area 
and it's a very um, up and coming, like high appreciation area as well as, and it has amazing cash flow. Awesome. So, now, best of both worlds. Okay. Yeah. And talk to us a little about property management. So you mentioned you had a property manager before you didn't like them. You got rid of them. You moved with a new one. Why don't you touch on that story a little bit? So I'm actually self-managing right now um, okay. from 2000 miles away. So I did have a property <laughs> manager and he was also my general contractor and he was sort of like trying to get into too many buckets here. Cause he's like, I'm also an agent. I can also represent you. Right. Um, he's trying to do everything. Yeah. And so there's not really like much checks and balances there. And so definitely learned from that and, the thing that the reason why I ended up firing him is because my property was sitting on the market for a month, four weeks, in one of like the hottest markets at the time. Wow. And I was asking him like, "What's like, what's the issue? Um, why, why have there been no inquiries?" And he was like, "I don't know. Like, maybe you should drop the price." And so I did drop the price. No inquiries. And so I was like, "Something's up here." And so I'd listed a um, Facebook marketplace ad and I got like 30 in the first day. And wow. I was like, something is wrong. <laughs> and right. so, oh yeah, most definitely. And so I, so yeah, I, I just literally sent him an email and said, per our contract, you know, <laughs> like you're <Yeah>. fired. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> yeah, he's not doing his job essentially. Yeah. Like you said, in a really hot market, not able to get it rented. And you step mm -hmm. in and get 30 inquiries more than they did in a month in a day. Yeah. So I, so the same friend who walked my first house for me um, and who I knew from commercial real estate, he said, just pay me a month's rent. I will lease that for you. No problem. Really quickly. And so I did. I paid him a month and we had a tenant in there in a week at above what we were asking. And she's awesome awesome and so I needed to close I needed to rent out my first house in order to qualify to close my triplex and we mm -hmm. were coming down to the line and so that's why I just I needed to fire him I didn't really give him much room for explanation but he ended up calling me and said he said that something was up with his call center and so nobody was like nobody was answering the phone <laughs> or Jeez. even or anything and so I'm glad it was a good learning experience I leased it out it turned out okay we got a great tenant. So, um, but I have not found another one yet. And so I, I honestly haven't looked that hard because it's been fine to self-manage it. Right. You're, you're not at like an unmanageable amount of doors from a distance. So you can self-manage, you can save that percentage of income uh, from the expense of property management and kind of put it back mm -hmm. into your business at the moment. Once you start getting up to, you know, a certain amount of doors, that's when it gets a little bit uh, labor intensive for you and you have to have someone, you know, kind of hands on the ground or boots on the ground for that. Um, talk to us about the two you have under contract as well. What's going on with those? So the first one I have under contract, which will be door six is the next door neighbor to door number five. And so awesome. it's super awesome. Yeah. So the realtor who helped me with door number five, she is also an investor. So she had to take some time off of being a realtor to go focus on her investing, but she said, Hey, I got a lead. It's the next door neighbor. Just take it. So we're doing just direct with the seller and that one I'm actually going to live in for a little bit. So really? go, okay. Yeah. Across the country and go, I don't think I've told anybody that, but yeah, so <laughs> I'm going to go live in it and I'm going to go 
you know, DIY, have some fun with it, learn how to use a chainsaw or something. Um, <laughs> I'm like the least handy person ever. <laughs> so I think it'll just be fun to, you know, HGTV it plus manage the renovation next door. And so that's that property. And, and we have to decide today whether we waive contingencies or not. Um, that's an ongoing process. But, and then the other one is in a town called Wyoming, Ohio, and it's one of the best school districts in Cincinnati area. And that was brought also by a realtor friend in a weird wholesaler off market sort of situation. <laughs> it was like a bad situation um, where his buyer dropped out last minute and he just needed to get rid of it. And so that one will likely be a flip because because the numbers are higher, it's really difficult to get a good price to rent mm. above $200,000. And so okay. I thought it was going to be a great bird. So it's a 150 purchase price, maybe 30,000 put into it. It'll be worth like 250. And I was like, great, that's an awesome burr opportunity, but right. you're not getting 2,500 bucks in rent from that. So it just, it's negative cash flow. And so at that point, I think that I'm buying this again with my partner. Um, I think that this might be a great opportunity to flip. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a good idea to throw a flip in every once in a while to bring some more available capital to the table. So that mm -hmm. way, maybe you're, you know, yes, we agree that other people's money is the way to go. But sometimes if you can get your own money back in there into play, you're not paying interest on that and your money's growing even quicker. So I think that's a good route as well. Um, Love that. Love that you're doing all that and what you're doing at your age too. I think that's great. What's the end goal for you or the next goal I could say? Yeah. So, I mean, I would love to get to $20,000 of passive income in the next few years, kind of wiggly on when that's going to be. I told myself <laughs> 30, but I think that's a little bit too long for me to wait for that. Um, especially at the rate that it's going right now. So I would love in the short term to get into mid-sized multifamilies. So anything from like five to, I don't know, 20 or 30 units, because I mean, I'm a commercial broker. My mind thinks in commercial right. and I love that in five plus units, it's tied to a cap rate and income. And so then you're no longer guessing at what the value is. It's more like, no, oh, if I increase the value by, you know, a thousand dollars up in rent, you yep. cap that and that's how much your, your value goes up, you know? And so to me, that seems like a lot more, like less of a bet than trying to burr two to four units, no, which I'm trying to definitely. do. And, and there's just not really, there's not very many comps to support the ARV numbers. So that's what makes it difficult. So that's my like midterm goal in the next year or so I'd like to buy sort of mid-sized apartment units. No, I mean, I think it's a great idea and I definitely agree, you know, on the five plus unit side, it really ties to income and cap rate. And it's, it's not a guessing game. It's just math is really what it is. If you increase mm -hmm. the NOI this much, then the market cap rates this much for this asset class, you know, in this area, it's going to make sense of what the value is. You're not guessing. And that's really why I've, you know, I've sold off all my smaller single and uh, multifamily properties, small multis, and I've transitioned into that space because it just makes more sense. It's, it's more of a business at that point. Um, mm -hmm. versus, you know, being in a residential neighborhood, which is nothing wrong with that. Um, you're doing a phenomenal job with that. That's where I got my start. And I know a bunch of people that um, built their business off that. So I think that's great. 
Um, is there anything else you want to touch on before we go to our next section of the show? I, I think that's it. But I mean, one thing is that there's a lot less competition in the larger space. And so every everyone and their mother wants to be a residential investor, yep. especially in the cheaper marketplaces where it's like, oh, I could put three and a half percent down and I can buy an investment property. When you're going up into like a million dollars, there's a lot less people and it's a lot more sophisticated game. And so- if you're a smart investor, you're good at networking, you're good at running numbers, like you can totally take up a big share of the market. Yeah, I, I think that's very true. You know, the barrier to entry is just so much smaller in that residential space that just about anyone can qualify for a loan, FHA three and a half percent down or conventional three percent. And that just bids up the price too, because some of these people don't know what they're doing and they're willing to pay a little bit higher price because they just don't know. So Totally That's what's happening that. in Cincinnati is people are yep. paying stupid prices for two to four units. And so everybody mm -hmm. else is like, that's what my property is worth too. And they're just bad financial decisions. And so yep. there's so many, it's so many more ways to make money and decrease expenses in big multifamily, like laundry income, storage income, stuff like that, mm -hmm. where like incentives for this and that and work with the government and tax abatements where I think that it's just fun. Like I invest in real estate, one for the money, but two, because I think it's fun. And it is, it's a great time. Project like that is is an incredible learning experience. And for, for me who works in commercial real estate, that's kind of where my mind thinks. Awesome, I love it. Let's head over to our next section of the show called the Curious Cues. So I'm gonna fire some questions at you and we'll get your answer. All right. First question is favorite podcast you enjoy listening to? So, I mean, this is going to be basic, but I really enjoy <laughs> I know what you're going to say. <laughs> Does anyone say anything different? Oh, what was up? You know, I'll say something different. I really like listening to Impact Theory, which is just, uh, have you ever listened to that? I haven't, no. I think it's Tom Bilyeu, but it's, it's basically a holistic, like, mind, health, business, whatever, and how to like maximize yourself on this earth. Okay. And so when I'm sick of listening to bigger pockets, which I was <laughs> sick of it, that was going to be my answer. Um, I, I talk about real estate all day, like work after work in the morning, six o'clock in the morning. And yep. so when I want to think about health or my holistic life, that's something I really enjoy listening to because there's so many interesting just tidbits on like how to maximize yourself that I enjoy thinking about. Definitely a change of pace from the real estate, right? Yeah. Sometimes you need it. Sometimes you just need a, a breather from the real estate. That's very true. Next question is favorite book you enjoy reading. So one of my favorite books that I read recently was David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. Also not a real estate book. Um, but it's a life book because I think that real estate investing has a lot to do with mindset and how limited your mindset is. And so this book in particular basically touches on everything that you consider to be your weaknesses and your disadvantages in life and how those are actually your advantage. I think a lot of people make excuses for themselves and say, well, I didn't get born into money or I didn't get born into the best situation or my parents don't have blah, 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 you know, right. and, or like investing is for really rich people or blah, 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 blah. But if you can turn that around and say, 
well, like for me, for instance, I used to always say that, like, oh, I wish I was born into money. But I think that because I, I wasn't, I'm, I'm not. And so right. I think that has made me a lot more resourceful. It has made me a lot more relatable to most people because most people aren't born into a lot of money. It's made me very resilient. It's made me independent and it's made me ambitious. And so if you can change your mindset into how your disadvantages are actually your advantages, you really take away that limiting mindset. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, the author of that book, he's a phenomenal author. I mean, I have one of his books up on my bookshelf, Outliers, um, another bestseller by him. So great book. Biggest hurdle in real estate you've had to overcome? I'd probably say finding an entirely new team or mm. property number two. I mean, building a team is the absolute hardest thing about investing out of state. And because you're not physically there, you have no idea what's going on with your property. Right. And I mean, it's a it's an evolving process and still working on building like the perfect team. And I don't really have the answer on how to build the perfect team yet. But I just said it's like a iteration process. You just go through it, you try them, you replace them, it's like putting puzzle pieces in. And down the line it's it's gonna hit. and it's and once it hits, it's gonna be massively successful. But until then I'm just gonna keep working on it. Awesome. Okay. Um, when you're not Eating, sleeping, or breathing real estate, what is your favorite <laughs> non-real estate related hobby you like doing? Um, whew, tough one, because that's all I do. But no, I I mean I used to play a lot of a stalker. It's difficult during coronavirus because I would have said like I go to the gym or like I go travel, but like right. now I don't I don't do anything. But I would say probably soccer is a great way to like reconnect with people and and you don't can't think of anything besides you and the ball in the field and so uh, that's something I like to do. I played on the boys team in high school because we didn't have a girls team and we didn't have a junior varsity team so freshman year a little like five foot girl <laughs> really small kind of bad played on the varsity boys team <laughs> impressive not bad my uh, oh, I, my had the, oh <laughs> I, I had the record for hits in the face almost broke my nose a couple times I, just, I was so I was the perfect height for people shooting the ball at my face wow yeah I my varsity year so I played soccer as well through high school and uh right before I had to step away because of uh, a medical reason we were 19 and 0 our season in New York State and we went to states and wow. some guy shot the ball from like half field with like four minutes left in the game and it went in, so our goalie was too far out, and we no. lost the whole season off of something silly like that. That's heartbreaking. We were like zero and nineteen. We were the opposite time. We were, <laughs> we were playing you guys. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, well, I mean, we were the only like co-ed team in the whole league, and we were playing in like all of these really like all seniors in, in high school, big guys who have been playing their entire lives, and there's there was me and a couple other girls. I'm like, I just started. <laughs> all right. Well, you're having fun with it. It's all that matters. <laughs> yeah. But I played through high school and then I, I played intramurals all through college. So it's a good time. That's great. I love that. Right, last question we have for you, newbie advice. So what advice would you give to someone that's looking to get started? I would say don't wait until you have everything figured out to move because you will never have everything figured out. And right. something will always go wrong and there will always be risk. And I think that 
if you can just take one step forward every day, that you will get somewhere. And I think yeah. that's the huge distinction between people who are investors and who just want to be investors forever is, is they can't move, they can't take action. And so I'm all about like consistent action. So like break down your goal into 10 steps, put it on a calendar for the next 10 days and complete every small step. And if you can do that consistently, you will be a real estate investor. It's, it's that not rocket science. It's not. It's difficult, but it's not that hard. Awesome. No, I think that's great advice, and you know, it's good accountability as well to do that practice you were talking about. So I like that. Um, where can people uh, find out about you? Where can they connect to you, or where can they uh, follow your journey a little bit more? So Instagram is probably the best place to find me. So it's at lattes.and.leases, and then I have a website, lattesandleases.com. If you want to download like my private money presentation or the spreadsheets that I use to analyze deals um, or any sort of the read about my background, et cetera, et cetera, it's all on there. Awesome. Very cool. Well, this is fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, we look forward to having you back sometime. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.